right, welcome to the Miscue NBA podcast. Basketball news, thoughts, feelings, insights, culture from right here in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Max Burston. That over there is the man himself, Ari Burston. Ari, how are you doing today? I am doing good. I'm feeling swampy because I'm in a hot office and I can't have the fan on for sound quality purposes. And the second I switched the fan off, I could just feel the beads of sweat just starting to grow. So Terrific, terrific. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I just gave blood, as I've told you like three times already, pre-recording. <laughs> for the listeners. For the, yeah, for the listeners. And I'm not virtue signaling. I'm not, I don't do it for noble purposes. I have too much iron. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't want it coming up later. Like, you're, oh, I do, you hear Max Burson actually. giving away your he blood to, for yeah. purely selfish reasons. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Correct. Self-interest is always the way. Yeah. 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 So I need you to carry this pot, as I've just told you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a sluggish version of myself. You could say okay. I'm, um, you could say I'm uh, early season uh, James Harden version of myself right now <laughs> so you want to be on a different podcast and you're going yeah, to, yeah. to perform yeah, deliberately yeah. until i send you off to a different podcast <laughs> that's, it. that's it i want out of here and i'm, I'm doing yep. everything but explicitly telling you that i want out of here to let you know that that's the situation yeah well that's fairly on topic because we're going to be talking a bit of hard and wanting out of places today because we're about a week removed from the trade deadline uh, so it's time. I had time to settle in. We've had like about a week to see, make sure that we didn't miss the trade deadline date. And it was actually like today and the Lakers are going to do something. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was kind of like waiting, but today I was like, okay, no, it must've actually passed and the Lakers just did nothing. But yeah, th- th- there's been a few eventful trades and that's going to be our main topic today. All right. Let's, let's obviously start with the Simmons Harden one. Because that was like the, I mean, that that's the blockbuster deal of the of the whole deadline, right? And yeah, it was the one that was getting floated around for weeks, and uh, I, I can't remember like with the last update we had on our pod because it changed so much. You know, the net saying we we are trading hard and we're not trading hard, and there was all, all these different conflicting reports, and it seemed to change day to day. Um, so in a way, I'm I'm kind of surprised it happened, but I'm also not at all surprised that it happened. Uh, so Philly gets James Harden. Um, and Brooklyn gets uh, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and a couple of, couple of draft picks. Uh, do you like this trade? Like, give me, what are your thoughts and feelings in general? Uh, yeah, I I kind of love this trade. Um, I think it works surprisingly well for both teams, given that it was kind of one of those trades that had to happen for various reasons, like James Harden. It kind of now seems like James Harden pretty much wanted out of Brooklyn. He wasn't happy there. Um, And when James Harden wants out, James Harden gets out. (laughs) So it kind of feels like, you know, the the Nets kind of had their hands tied there. The Sixers really needed to get rid of Simmons because, you know, he was clearly never going to return to Philly. So for a trade where it kind of feels like both teams had to make something happen, I think it works very well for both of them and I think it's a good trade for the fans as well because as well as probably producing some interesting basketball results there's also a reasonable chance that it could blow up in either of these teams faces (laughs) and and that's always entertaining so I'm I'm like a big fan of this trade me too actually Uh, for many of the reasons you mentioned before it's like a big swing move for both teams but also kind of one that they had to make um, yeah, yeah it's, it's really interesting. I'm really curious to see how it all works. 
Um, I think both of them have potential to work out really well. I think both teams could have gotten a lot better from this trade. And like you said, it could also completely blow up in both of their faces. It could be a catastrophe. Yeah. Let's start on the Sixers side of things. Um, yes. How do you see the Harden and Embiid fit working? Because I think that's the biggest um, storyline or at least the biggest uh, issue. Uh, not, not, not that it's an issue in terms of like a red flag, but the most important factor in this trade working out is how the two stars are going to work. So what do you see their fit being like? I think the... The, the big thing for me here is that I think Embiid and Harden are both superstars of just the highest caliber who both want to win and seemingly want to be there. And I think that generally means that they can kind of make it work. Mm-hmm. I think they're both good enough that they should be able to figure out, you know, how to get into a rhythm. I don't think they take away from each other's games very much, you know, like a perimeter creator is kind of what Philly has often needed to get an inside-outside game going with Embiid. Um, They both kind of work well in the pick-and-roll. Harden is the handler. Uh, Embiid likes kind of popping off a pick-and-roll. They, you you know, they're both just very good shot creators and scorers in completely unique ways. And I I feel like for a team who wants to make a deep playoff push, it's, it's kind of good having two just deadly scorers, one on the inside, one on the outside. The biggest question is how's Harden got to fit in defensively. But I think from the offensive standpoint, I, I think they should be able to make it work. Um, I want to come back to that defensive point in a second. But yeah, I'm really curious to see how the pick and roll combination between those two guys actually does work. Um, Harden's been a great pick and roll player of the years, particularly attacking switches, but also when he played with a, a guy like Capella or, or even mm. Dwight Howard for a period. Um, he was just great with lob threat guys. But I'm curious because Embiid is not a lob threat. He's not like a fast roller. He's a no. slow roller and he, he's a pop guy. And James Harden's never really played with that. Um, it might sound like semantics, but there, there's definitely a difference in, in the way you operate. Oh, it's an adjustment those, for sure. Yeah, kind of situations and stuff like that. Because Harden's got that like deadly mid-range floater. And that kind of excels when you've got someone diving to the rim and you make that defender kind of have to pick. Do you get on Harden and right. kind of cut off his drive or do you, but yeah, if Embiid's kind of popping out, it takes away that element of Harden's game. Yeah, definitely. And the other part that I'm curious to see is Harden's never played with a volume post-up guy like Joel Embiid. Uh, And I think one of the biggest things as well is Harden never in his career likes shooting catch and shoot threes. He always has to dribble beforehand. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think in a situation where you are playing with a guy like Embiid who's getting doubled, uh, double team balls getting swung around, I think Harden's going to have to be more willing to shoot those catch and shoot threes. Not that he can't do it. It's just there's going to be like some style adjustments. Um, What are you curious about defensively with Philly and the way that works? Okay. So the way Philly plays defense is they have a very kind of tenacious attitude towards defense where when someone sets a pick Embiid generally will kind of like sit back and go under it and all of the perimeter defenders for Philly will have to really aggressively fight over screens and get back and all of the perimeter dudes on Philly and this works when it's like Tyrese Maxey uh, and like Matisse Tybel works for these guys but it has to be very energetic very fighting over the top of screens uh, not much like casual switches going on uh, so you put Harden in that situation and I want to see how he can kind of keep up because he's famously not the most energetic or enthusiastic defender and he tends to thrive in defensive systems where he can kind of hang back maybe pick off a lazy you know pass every now and then but he's, he's not really fighting through screens very often <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. It's so true. It's a big adjustment. Like Philly plays that drop coverage, like you said, and it's fight over the top. And Harden has always pretty much played in switch heavy systems, especially with Brooklyn. And, um, yeah, it's just, he's used to just passing his guy off to the next guy. So it's going to be a big <laughs> yeah. adjustment. It'll be interesting to see if they change their strategy at all. But the funny thing about that whole situation is Harden is not really a switchable player anyway. <laughs> he's just happened to play in that system and just prefers it because yep. it's less effort on that yep. end of the floor. But it's not yep. like he's an Andre Godala, Kevin Durant kind of guy. No, 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 he's no. Like, he's not a switch in terms of I can guard one through five. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. He just has yeah. happened to play in those systems and it works for him because he, it means he burns less calories, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so that'll be really interesting. How do you see the Simmons in in Brooklyn fit going just on face value? On face value, I can see it working quite well. I think, um, you know, guys like KD and Steve Nash, I imagine, wants to run a fairly kind of Mike D'Antoni-esque fast break, push the ball, freewheeling offense. And that kind of gives Ben Simmons the chance to get out in transition, handle the ball there without having to be like a half-court point guard where you can kind of, you know, shift him to a different position. Uh, So I think it kind of works in his favor if Brooklyn do want to transition to more of an open floor game, which is difficult when Harden is like your primary ball handler because he is very much a slower down half-court isolation kind of guy. So I think this might open up Uh, Brooklyn and give them the chance to kind of play a brand of basketball that I think will probably fit Steve Nash's coaching style a lot better. I think the word from Brooklyn is a lot of people were getting frustrated with Harden's slow style as well. Um, yeah, like Kevin Durant, apparently, I mean, he never says anything, but the word was Durant was frustrated with it. Some of the coaching staff was frustrated with it. People around the organization were just saying stuff like, like he really likes to dribble. <laughs> you know, that's his thing. They didn't think, um, we knew this though. This is, I always find it funny when stuff like this happens. When yeah. Yeah. Teams seem to it's make like, a what did you active effort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you, you desperately want James Harden and you get him and go like, Oh, this was this is James Harden. Oh, I was thinking of like Steph Curry. Like this is how James Harden plays. Yeah, but I think I think a lot of times teams get players in and say we can change him. He can adapt to our system. Mm. We can use him in different ways. And like some guys are just set in their ways, and it's hard for them to do that. And it doesn't yeah. always work out. And then you're like, well, what did you expect? You know. In saying that, Harden last year seemed to be playing like at a higher tempo. Um, I think when him, Kyrie, and Durant were all on the floor, it looked a lot nicer. Harden was really moving the ball a lot more, like getting it out of his hands quicker, not dribbling. And then I think, you know, I've heard this point made a couple of times uh, in the last couple of weeks, is that this year, like with the Durant injury, um, or injuries, plural, and then the Kyrie situation being in and out, Harden had to kind of go back to his old ways of, you know, pounding the rock, and, and then when it is time to readjust, he can't go back again. It's kind of like having somebody quit cigarettes, you know, and, and get that out of their system and then say, actually, you know what, Ari, like, I need you to smoke a pack a day for like the next week and then stop again. Like, that's difficult. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's hard. So, um, yeah, cigarettes for some people, dribbling for James Harden. So I think that's a legitimate situation. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, to, to his, or, or to give him the benefit of the doubt on, or, or credit, I think that's a tough situation that he was in this year. Um, not, not, not that I love the way he handled it or anything like that, but there is nuance to it. Um, yeah. And especially with, like, how do you, how do you feel about the whole Harden forcing his way out of a, a second situation in one calendar year? Uh, 
not great if it wasn't for all of the, you know, other circumstances right. surrounding it. Like when you take in the, you know, Kyrie Irving refusing to get vaccinated and as a result not being able to play home games. Mm. Um, you know, I think I think that would definitely cause some, you know, difficult locker room situations, which I think, you yeah. know, I, I would expect they contributed this to this in some way. Um you know, I'm not a big fan of players kind of forcing their way out in general, especially superstars of this caliber and doing it, you know, back-to-back seasons. But, yeah, in this case, there seems to be, like, enough other stuff going on that I don't want to... I, I don't want to be too judgy. Yeah, I kind of don't blame him. Like, yeah. in a way. I mean, every every post-game press conference after every game Kyrie played, Harden would make a comment like, we need him every game. He said, I'll give him the jab myself at one point in time. It'd be incredibly frustrating to come to a situation yep. and have a guy doing that when you're trying to win a championship. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, like, I kind of don't blame him in a weird way. Yeah. I'm not for, yeah, I don't I, like the forcing out thing. I definitely think, but, you know, uh, he's now got like an MO as a guy that does this kind of thing. But, you know, yeah. I can't fully blame him uh, yeah, for no, this situation. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, how do you see the the Simmons and um, Durant combo? And then with Kyrie as well? Because the way I view it is, just to the fit for that team, I love that fit of Durant, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving. And I think it makes them a much better team, but only under the circumstance that Kyrie's a full-time player, which he's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think with Kyrie, you've got almost like a, a Golden state kind of situation where... Ben Simmons can be the Draymond Green type of player. Um, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are the scorers, the ball handlers on the wings and stuff like that. And Simmons is free to catch the ball in the short roll, attack the basket, make plays, um, and play completely within himself. And like you said, they can increase the tempo, everything like that. Um, but if you don't have Kyrie in there for any or for any of the home games or some of the road games, then it just becomes Kevin Durant and a guy who can't score. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then they have other yeah. shooters, but you look at the rest of their team, it's like Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Joe Harris on the floor. Like that's three yeah. of the same player. Like that's three small guards who can't really defend and they're great Having... shooters and you love to have them on any team. But all three of them together, it's just not, there's just not much. No, no, no. Yeah, there. yeah. Yeah, if you want a lineup of... Yeah, like Simmons, KD, Harris, Curry, and Mills, which is realistically like their their strongest five probably when Kyrie's not around. That's kind of relying on Simmons to be very aggressive offensively and try and really carve out his own space and attack the ring. Like that lineup only works if Simmons is pulling in defenders and freeing up space for these knockdown Mm. shooters. Uh, So that's kind of... Yeah, I guess for that to be successful, we need Simmons to do the thing that everyone was begging for him to do in Philly. Well, like be aggressive attacking the basket. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, well, he like in general, he needs to sort yeah. that out and not be afraid to shoot yeah. free throws for sure. Yeah. But I also think this situation in Brooklyn um, with the scorers he has around him, there's less pressure on him to make those kind of plays. Like he's not going to be put in a situation where he's taking the last shot of a game. You know what I'm saying? And you look look at someone like Draymond. I know I keep comparing to him, but I think that's a good comp. Um, Draymond, like, rarely even looks at the basket, you know? And I I think Simmons has the kind of skill set, screening, passing, size, everything like that, where he can play that kind of role. Like, he doesn't even have to look at the basket. He can be connective tissue, catches the ball on the short roll, quick handoff screen to somebody else, like... Um, not to say it would be beneficial for him to attack the basket <laughs> from time to time because it absolutely would be. Uh, 
But yeah, I just think I, I think it'll be a good situation for him where he, he's he's asked to play within himself and, and doesn't have those other expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I doubt people are yeah, going to be on his back every day about his three-point shot in, in Brooklyn. No. You know what I mean? It's not going to be the same yeah. situation. But yeah. he should be able yeah, to make free throws <laughs> or at least not be afraid to shoot him, you know? Free throws are a good skill to have when you're, you know, a professional NBA player. Yeah. I mean, but we know guys struggle with him. It's mental. A yeah. lot of it's mental. Yeah. Um, so since the trade, mm-hmm. the neither of Harden or Simmons has played yet, but Seth Curry has had two games for Brooklyn. Yeah. They have won both of them, and he's been the leading scorer in both mm-hmm. of them. So that is another kind of big part of this trade as well, because Seth Curry is really having a huge season. Um, and he, you know, he's a great knockdown shooter, but he's also kind of really improved his ability to create his own shot as well. And I've just loved what I've seen out of him this season. So I think that is another kind of big step up for Brooklyn. That yeah, I love is very Seth. underrated. I love Seth. Yeah. Uh, he's like the perfect role player to have on, on any team, really. When I was saying that about their lineup before, I wasn't saying like any of those guys. Are oh, I know, players. I know. They're yeah. all excellent. It's just a size thing, really. Um, yeah. And just like yeah. another reminder of how they need um, need Kyrie in there every game. But yeah, like mm-hmm. I really like what Brooklyn did. It worked out for them. And Harden wasn't going to sign that extension anyway, you know. Um, both guys wanted out. It wasn't going to work. So it's a win-win, really. All right. So the Mavericks sent Kristaps Porzingis to Washington in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans in an interesting trade. Yeah, we've talked about this. I don't understand it at all. It doesn't make yeah. any sense to me, especially for Dallas, because like Luke is such a ball-dominant player. And they already make an allowance to take the ball out of his hand because Jalen Brunson is so good. And now you bring like I think a, another ball dominant uh, yeah. guard in there in, in Dinwiddie. And then you also like I don't I I don't think Porzingis is very good. Like I'm not a fan. But in saying no, that, I no. think he's a way better fit for what they were trying to do in Dallas than Spencer Dinwiddie is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bizarre. I think the this trade shows that they're very confident that Jalen Brunson is going to have a big payday this offseason. And probably look elsewhere. So I think they wanted to bring in. But they they would have his bird right. So if they're thinking, oh, we don't want to yes. pay Jalen Brunson, we'll pay Spencer Dinwiddie instead. That's insane. I don't think that's what it's, they're thinking. I mean, yeah, that would be, be right. true. Well, what could they be thinking, which makes this rational? Because one thing I've seen floating around, <laughs> yeah, like like a big thing I've seen people talking about is that it's not about what they got. It's about it becoming clear that Kristaps Porzingis isn't going to be the future of this team. No, I agree. To get rid of him. Yeah, but, he's not very good. No, but do something else with him because it's like he's under contract until 2024 and he's getting 31 mil a year. So you trade him for Bertans who has an extra year on his contract. He's under contract until 2025 and Bertans is getting 16 mil a year. So like no offense to Davis Bertans. But he's not half a Porzingis, but they're no, paying offense. him half a Porzingis. Offense. Okay, offense, offense, offense to Davis. He Bertans. sucks too. <laughs> he sucks too. He and and they're still paying him a lot, and for longer than they would be paying Porzingis. Dinwiddie's on eighteen million a year for another like year or so. That's another overblown contract. So this whole idea that it's about getting rid of Porzingis, 
and that's it doesn't really hold water for me because if that's all you want to do, surely you're taking on some expiring contracts. You know, you're not getting bogged down with Dinwiddie and Bertans for the next two to three seasons just to get rid of Porzingis. Like to me, that just doesn't unless out at all. unless like literally they couldn't get anything else, and the whole thing was like. It was the battle for who who has more they need to unload and who's going to win. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. So I, like, yeah, may, maybe that's the case. Maybe no one had, nobody wanted to give anything up for Porzingis, for which yeah. I couldn't blame them. But that's fair. yeah, it's it just seems like a very strange thing to do for Dallas. I don't understand at all. But then they beat Miami yesterday, so I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, I don't, like yeah. I don't know what's going on in the NBA right now. To be honest, <laughs> shit is crazy. <laughs> But I, I just do not understand a number of these trades, particularly this one. Um, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> if they, they, and yeah, now they, they're committed to small ball. Like, they're fully committed to small ball. Because if they've got, they got Dwight Powell, they've got Boban, if they want to play him, that's more of like a gimmick lineup they go to. I don't know. It seems strange. strange. Yeah. Well, Powell is good. Powell's a much better fit with uh, Donchick. Uh, yeah. than Porzingis is. Um, and then you got what, like Josh Green and Finney Smith can be your forwards. Maxi Kleiber is good. I like Kleiber. Um, Kleiber? But he... Kleiber? Kleiber? Yeah. No, yeah. oh, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they don't have many, like, physically imposing people. They're going in on the small ball. Yeah, they beat Miami yesterday. They also have Luca, who's, you know, just one of the most gifted players in the league. Yeah. Like, they're going to win games. But it doesn't mean their, their roster makes a lick of sense. I don't know. Maybe they're looking to move Dinwiddie in the offseason or something like that. Maybe they're looking to move Brunson. I really like Brunson. But, yeah, I don't know. I like, I, I'm I, big on Brunson. Me too. Me too. I like him a lot. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, the trade doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see it's how odd. it works out. Especially it's strange because they were playing really well. And I'm yeah. not saying, like, they were playing great because of Porzingis, but when you start changing the, the makeup of a team and the whole way the team runs and works, I don't know. It's a risk. It's interesting. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. I know this is, like, it's... terrible analysis for a podcast. We're <laughs> <laughs> talking about NBA, but I, don't, I just don't really understand the trade. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a... Kind of a baffling one. Okay, next one up. I'm just running through my list here. Uh, so the Celtics traded Derek... Sorry, the Celtics received Derek White from the Spurs in exchange for Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and some draft picks. This is third on your list. Okay. <laughs> Chronological, baby. <laughs> Chronological? Oh, that's not how we should do it. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, Derek White is pretty good. Uh more like I'm just more interested in the Celtics right now. They've won ten in a row. We didn't even have they've him won in ten our, in a row. We didn't even have him in our contenders versus pretenders conversation last week. So no. My my question to you is: Has Boston elevated themselves into pretender status? <laughs> yes, but yeah, they haven't elevated themselves into contender status. Bonafide the pretenders are though. now bonafide pretenders. <laughs> they are straight up kidding themselves right now. <laughs> They're playing great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no they're, they're doing they've well they've thrust I themselves mean, into the thralls of delusion it's, it's fantastic <laughs> yeah no they're great like Tatum's been on a tear Brown's been great um, just quickly on the trade I think it's a really good move because the guys they got rid of kind of clashed with mm. Tatum and, and Brown a bit whereas I think Derek White kind of gives you a much better ball handler than you were getting out of Josh Richardson or Romeo Langford you know who and they got rid of like, Schroeder too as well. And they got rid of Schroeder too in a different deal. So I think, like, you know, that that's always a good thing for a team to do. 
And I think Derek White can come in and be a solid, you know, extra person to, yeah. to kind of handle the ball, take it out of Tatum and Brown's hands sometimes, let them get back to the wing, focus purely on kind of being those slashing creative scorers without having to, like, get the offense rolling. I think that's a good move for Boston. And then they got rid of, um, yeah, like Schroeder and uh, Bruno Fernando, and they got Daniel Tice. Again, they kind of just, like, moving some pieces around. So it's funny they got Tice back because... Originally, yeah, like yeah. there was a story when Brad Stevens was the coach that the front office traded Daniel Tice because Brad Stevens was playing him too much. And Brad Stevens liked Daniel oh. Tice so much and he wouldn't stop playing him. But the front office didn't like him, so they traded him. And now now um, Brad Stevens in the front office and the first thing he does is bring Daniel <laughs> Tice back. <laughs> That's great. Do you have yeah, any yeah. strong thoughts on Daniel Tice? Because I feel like he's like a no, funny he's person fine. to have like to feel so strongly about. Like this guy. Yeah. Like if you want, you know, you want someone to come in and play 15 to 20 minutes and grab like, you know, a couple of boards, he's your man. Yeah, he's fine. He's a good stretch five yeah. or whatever. Yeah, he's Daniel has his goal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nothing crazy, but I like the deals they made and they're playing well. So yeah, I think they've made improvements for sure. Yep. Then we've got a four-team deal between the Bucks, the Clippers, the Kings, and the Pistons. A lot of moving pieces here, but the kind of main takeaways are the Bucks got Sergi Barker in exchange for Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, and then the Pistons managed to get Marvin Bagley, and the Kings did some things. But but kind of the main things here are. You know, because most of these teams are very irrelevant to the season, but the Bucks offloaded some pieces and got Sergi Barker, which perfect, kind perfect of helps. move for the Bucks, I yeah. reckon. Especially Great with move. Lopez being out. And the guys who got rid yeah. of, for the most part, weren't even really playing for him. Like, what does Semi Ojale do for you? Nothing. Exactly. Um, oh, Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale were terrible signings. Yeah. That, you, you know, they didn't do anything. DiVincenzo is a bit of a loss because he's kind of the only good, really young player the Bucks have who maybe could, you know, become like a good role player. But I, mean, I think they, they have Grayson Allen now, who is basically yeah. doing the yeah. same thing that DiVincenzo was, and they yeah. needed that center. Um, and Sergi yeah. Barker, like for the most part, is a pretty similar kind of player to Brook Lopez is. The only thing is yeah. his injuries in recent times. So if he stays healthy, I think it's great. If he doesn't, then yeah, it's a bit of a hit, but good move for them. I yeah. Think. Yeah, good move. He offers a bit of that inside presence, you know, someone who can play the five when Giannis isn't, and he can also you know, pretty consistently knocked down an outside shot, which always helps on a Giannis team. You know, like you said, he kind of fills that Brook Lopez role very nicely. So I yep. think that's... Giannis is killing line. it lately, by the way. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm, he's on a... It's like shooting 85% it's, every game as well. It's, it's unbelievable. Nuts. Yeah. He is unreal. I'm feeling the pretty Bucks bullish on the Bucks again. Yeah. I'm really quite yeah. bullish on them. Yeah, I, th- I think the... the, the I mean, they won the championship, you know. <laughs> like they, they, they did. That they they did. Can do yeah. it, and then, and now they're probably better than they were then. So, like, I, you know, Lopez is a big loss, but like Giannis is looking just phenomenal. They're third in the East currently, but I like their odds over the Heat or the Bulls, who are you know the two teams ahead of them. I think. Yeah, I, yeah, the Bulls have. Drop down in my personal yeah, rankings. I'm feeling bit. I'm feeling bearish on the Bulls, bullish on the Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Hornets got Montrez Harrell. The Wizards yeah. got Ish Smith and Vernon Curry. No one cares. Uh, Tory Craig is back in Phoenix. Cool. Um, 
the, I really should have ordered this. Are we, we going to talk about sun. the Sabonis for Halliburton trade? When we get there. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll scroll down. Okay. All right. So. This is the last time the other... I'm letting you run through anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Probably the other, you know, kind of biggest trade of this trade deadline was a deal between the Pacers and the Kings. So the one I just the mentioned, King, the one you just mentioned, <laughs> I'm, I'm going through the pieces of it. There are, the You're going through the motions, of... but I need, I need you to feel it, Ari. You're going through the motions. <laughs> You're doing an early season. Want to get out of here? James Harden thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to be Philadelphia James your... Harden. Okay. We don't know what that is. <laughs> we don't, we don't, but I have high expectations and hopes <laughs> okay the kings received demontis sabonis justin holiday and jeremy lamb the Pacers got tyrese halliburton buddy healed and tristan thompson this is a great 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 deal for the Pacers. yeah i agree because they were going to be um they were going to be breaking up the sabonis and turner thing anyway and to get that's all yeah a young guard like halliburton in exchange is Fantastic. He's so good and so underrated. He's the king's, he was even the king's a, best player. Yeah, absolutely. And even since I don't he's got care to... what people say about Darren Fox. Halliburton's their best player. Yeah, no, Halliburton's better. And even since he's gone to Indiana, it feels like he's taken a step up in like three games. He's getting 16 yeah. assists and he just... he Yeah, he's just a, a, a wonderful young guard. And, you know, whenever Brogdon's back, I think the interesting thing about that backcourt is... Both of those guys are kind of combo guards. They can both play on and off the ball. And so I think they're really interchangeable. I have an interesting thing they have going on, which is perfect for the way Indy likes to play and Rick Carlisle's system and everything like that. Yeah. Um, I love that those two are together because when both of them came into the league, they had that same feeling around them of like, this is a very mature yeah. guard who, who just plays like a really solid, smart basketball. So chucking them together is awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I'm, and I'm a, I'm such a big Brogdon fan as well because it's like yeah. I like guys that are basketball players. If that if that makes sense, like, and what I mean by that is they yeah. can shoot, they can pass, they play defense, they can cut, they can do everything on the floor. Um, they don't eat up the ball, they don't eat up the possessions. They just play basketball. Like they're basketball players, they can do anything they're asked of. And both of those guys are like that. And I think it's going to be really cool to see them together if that ever happens. But Indiana yeah. got a good one. Indiana got a really great good one. one. Did- Buddy Hield can score like crazy. And you put, you know, around guys like Halliburton and Brogdon, who will generally be sharing the court with, they can kind of make up for some of his, you know, defensive faults, which is good. It's it's just a really good deal for them all around. Yeah, so this is kind of controversial on the Kings part because some people absolutely hated the deal for the Kings. Yeah. Um, other people made the very valid point that Sabonis, at least right now, is probably the better player out of he and Halliburton. Um, yes. So, why do you like? Where do you stand on this move for the Kings? Is it is it like another one of those franchise killing moves that the Kings have been known for over the years, or is it are they not getting enough credit for what it actually is? Because I'm kind of on the fence about it. I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people are acting like it is for the Kings, because I think what's interesting about this trade is that Sabonis is a much bigger gain for the Kings than he is a loss for the Pacers. Because of the whole Sabonis Turner thing, it's always kind of been a foregone conclusion that one of them was going to leave. So when Sabonis goes, it doesn't really feel like a massive loss for Indiana, because it kind of has that air of like, well, I guess it was always going to happen. 
So that can kind of make it feel like it's less of a win for the Kings. But that's actually, like, a really good pickup. He is, like, yeah, I think you're right. He is the best individual talent involved in this deal. So that's a great win for Sacramento. I think the biggest loss for them is that Tyrese Halliburton really does feel like a, a basket you could put all your eggs in if you're a team like Sacramento. You know? right. So I just think losing him, no matter who you're losing him for, feels kind of like, oh, was that a bad move? Should have we looked to ship De'Aaron Fox and go all in on Halliburton instead? But, you know, for what they got back, like Sabonis, you know, he's an, he's an all-star quality player. Like it is, it is a nice little pickup for the Kings. Yeah, Kings Reddit was not happy <laughs> at all about yeah. the trade. Um, yeah, I think is Tyrese Halliburton such an easy player to root for as well. Like everybody likes him. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I don't, I don't hate it for Sacramento. Sabonis is really good, and I think De'Aaron Fox has kind of fallen out of favor a little bit, and maybe is starting yeah. to become a little underrated. But he's got mad potential too, and he's still pretty young. He's in his fifth year now, yeah. uh, but still in his early twenties. I really like him. Combination with Sabonis could be really good. Uh, like you know, I don't know. I would have liked to keep Halliburton if I was the Kings, but maybe that was the only yep. option, and they thought that was the best way to improve their roster. I don't know, but um, it's looking okay so far. Actually, that combination, yeah. And um, yeah, we'll see where they go. Uh, I, I just I, Sabonis just does not look good in the Kings uniform. That was the first thing I thought about. It was confirmed as soon as I saw him in the game. Purple and black yeah. on a on a on a white guy like that, it doesn't really work. But yeah, kind <laughs> of the Brad Miller all over. Again. Yeah, Brad Miller, the second coming of Brad Miller. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's no good. Um, okay, another you know trade with some pretty big names involved. Blazers and the Pelicans made a deal. The Pelicans got CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell. And the Blazers received Josh Hart, Nikolai Alexander-Walker, Thomas Sadoransky, and a smattering of future draft picks. And Alexander-Walker's gone to Utah now as well for Joe Ingles since then, right? Um, yes. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They had to break up the CJ Dame thing, so they got CJ out of there. Um, that's an end of an era. Those two, one of the, the most fun, uh, likable backcourts in NBA history, I think. Um, so yeah. Paul, Paul went out for the Dame-CJ duo, uh, but it had to happen. Um, it had to happen, but this feels not like this. <laughs> not for these guys. <laughs> I thought, so, so you know... You thought they would have got a better return, or you would have rather them sent McCollum to a better, a better spot than New Orleans? Both. Both, I think. I think they kind of go hand in hand. Mm. Um, send McCollum to a better team who can offer something better in return. Like, it's kind of like, it is this long-running, beloved, iconic backcourt. And all of their years together, it's like, what, it culminates in in Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, and an injured Joe Ingles? Like, it, it doesn't really feel like... Josh Hart has been killing it in his three games in Portland since the deadline. I know, I like Josh Hart. I'm a big fan of Josh Hart. But... I don't know, they've, they've been on the cusp of, like, is this a team, which can this backcourt, like, compete for a championship at some point? And it's just really kind of... But they, they couldn't, though. They couldn't. They couldn't, yeah. I know, but it's kind of, like, it's disappointing. Like, the realisation, like, last season, pretty much, was like, okay, it's never going to happen with Dame and CJ. And now it's like, yep, they've pulled the plug, and it just feels very... You know, you know, this doesn't really move the needle for Portland. Like, it's not like yeah. they make this deal and now it's like, oh, Portland are competing in the playoffs again. Like, I, I don't think they're really any better than they were before it. 
No, I think they're going into full rebuild mode, which yeah. makes you think about what's happening with Dame in the offseason. Yeah. Like, I'd be surprised if he stayed in this situation, you know. Maybe yeah. they want Russell Westbrook and a couple picks in exchange for Damian Lillard. Who knows? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that would be a happy But I ending. think, uh, yeah, I mean, Dame, get the hell out of there. Tell him you want yeah. LA. Uh, <laughs> that would work out for all parties. Except for Russell yep. Westbrook and the Portland Trailblazers, but your and your guy Simons as well. God, what a catastrophe that would be! <laughs> He's oh. actually killing it right now. <laughs> I noticed you so cut out the Simons segment from the last podcast. Which oh, I was really about. upset because it didn't. You know, I cut it out for various kind of like sound flow reasons of it all. Oh. But there, there, there was a thing we recorded last week where I was basically took a few minutes to prattle on about how good and Fernie Simons is, and how much I love him. And you, I'm glad you brought it up so I didn't have to, but you brought up that I'd been on his train for like years and years, <laughs> and that it was finally paying off. So I'll just quickly mention that now. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Yeah, he's good. I really like him. He is good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, and that's another thing. I mean, maybe the emergence of Simons is another thing that just makes Portland think it's it's time to move on from Dame. You know, not that yeah. Simons is is close to what Dame is it's or not anything Dame. like that, but it's time to rebuild. It's yeah. definitely time to rebuild if you're Portland. So. I, I, I don't mind that because I, I would like Dame to kind of, you know, go somewhere where he can compete for a chip. And yeah. I'm glad he doesn't have to do it in a way where he's like abandoning a good team. Like where mm. it's kind of, you know, it, it, it feels like a good opportunity for him to gracefully exit. Yeah, he won't be vilified for leaving yeah. a situation like this, especially if Portland no. come out and say, this is like we're rebuilding, this is what we're doing. But yeah, I think for everyone, yeah. it would be good to see Dame on a title mm-hmm. contender. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last big trade, biggish trade. Uh, the Cavs and the Pacers made a deal. The Cavs received Karis LeVert and the Pacers got Ricky Rubio, and, and then there were some, like, second-round draft picks involved, but it was a fairly straightforward Rubio full of one-for-one. Love it for the Cavs. Mm. It's just another, another scorer they have coming off the bench and they're starting lineup, whatever they choose. Yeah, Cleveland, um, man, I mean, they're making... They, they, they look good, as we've mentioned before, in, in last week's pod and everything like that. So I really like that move for them. Um, they're really all in on this season. You can tell, like they're actually making moves to improve their situation now, improve their title chances. Um, the only thing is, I just think the teams ahead of them uh, in the East, uh, as it currently stands, all got better at the trade deadline as well. You know, I think Brooklyn improved. I think Philly improved. Uh, Miami is pretty yeah. much the same, and I think Milwaukee improved. So, to me, they're still fifth in the East, uh, but I like it for them. What do you think? I Yeah, I really like it for Cleveland. I think that's okay that the other teams moved around them because, like, the Cavs are clearly good now, trying to get better now, but they're not really competing for a championship this year. Everyone is so young on that team that they're kind of just assembling this absurdly promising young core. Like, you get a team with, like, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Darius Garland and now Karis LeVert, you know, plus throwing Colin Sexton when he's recovered. That's five very young, very promising. I think they'll right look to, to trade Sexton. I think as well they will. I, th- I think they will as well, especially with um, Isaac Okoro, who's kind of stepped up and he's been, you know, a, a really good contributor who doesn't, you know, so I think Sexton and Garland's kind of 
it's always been a question will that work properly but whoever they decide to move you know they've got four to five young promising players and that's a really nice kind of core to have like like mm. the fact that they're this high up in the standings at these guys at this age it's just phenomenal absolutely who would have thought who would have, i mean we spoke spoke about them at length last week so yeah it's more of the same i mean really really good and if you're a Cavs fan it's going to be a weird experience actually having a good team that's not centered around the yeah team. yeah and i love darius Garland yeah, as well. for the first time since like 1992 yeah yeah literally yeah <laughs> like wild so yeah good on them what do you make of that trade for the paces uh I think they're just clearing house a little bit, trying to get assets. I think they just took back Rubio to, to match contracts and they're just trying to get some draft yeah. picks. Yeah, because they're kind of going into rebuild mode. And, and Indy's a team that, like, they never really go into rebuild mode. Uh, they always no. like, want to be in playoff yeah. contention. And that's probably because they're, like, a small market and they need to maintain a certain level of success for, for yeah. fans to, you know, maintain interest, even though apparently Indiana is like the basketball capital of the world, according to people from Indiana. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works. But, yeah, they're kind of going all in on this rebuild and it's working out like they got yeah. Albert and they got some draft picks. So it's good. They're in a good spot. Yeah, no, no, I think, I think they're kind of, you know, setting themselves up nicely mm. for in a few years' time to kind of really... Return of the Hoosiers, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of like most of the big trades. There were some, yeah, I think they're the important ones. Yeah, like... What, what do you make of the Lakers not making a move? And now Anthony Davis is injured again, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the Lakers not making a move really feels like it's a symptom of no one is willing to... Like, like what do we have that people want? You know, there's no, there's no clear, like... It's not yeah, like we're that, a mismatched team where it's like, oh, this could be a good piece somewhere. It's we're burdened with Russell Westbrook and no one wants him. Like, that's kind of the issue here. Yeah, I think, like, Palinka and the Lakers are kind of getting crucified for not making a move. But uh, honestly, like, uh, no deal is better than a bad deal. And I don't think yeah. there would be any good deal out there. You know, there was the whole, like, John Wall and Christian Wood for um, Westbrook and, like, a 2027 first-round pick. And... I think it would be a disaster to give up a 2027 first round pick that might be very high at that point in time yeah. for John Wall. Like, that'd be crazy. So, yeah. Um, and like, yeah. as Christian much as I was praying for Russell Westbrook to get the hell up out of there at the, de- at the yeah. deadline, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's better than giving up valuable assets. Did you see, by the way, um, so, you know, obviously, um, LeBron was sending out messages through the media before trade deadline saying we're not good enough like after that Bucks game he said no we're not good yeah. enough and we're not going to get on their level etc etc um, and then you know a report came out that uh, after the deadline that the Lakers and LeBron and AD were on the same page about not making a move and then there was another report refuting that saying no LeBron actually wanted a move made uh, anyway the Rams just won the Super Bowl shout out to the Rams um, and they gave up a lot of draft picks uh, for various players on their team. Okay. And um, their general manager to their to their championship parade yesterday wore a T-shirt that said, fuck them picks on it, which is great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Le- LeBron tweeted out something like, that's my kind of GM. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just oh, like, LeBron. Yeah. The house is really burning down. It's... A lot of it's a lot of drama. <laughs> yeah, it's like a lay baby. It's it's strange for a team 
with like two clear-cut top 10 plays in the league make a very reasonable argument for hire to be this bad. You know, like, I know there have been a lot of injuries. It's just bizarre that a team with LeBron and AD and Russell Westbrook on it (laughs) feels this hopeless. Yeah, it's shocking. It's truly, truly shocking. Like, it really has that feeling of, like, well, we're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. There's nothing we can do about it. Also, we have, like, three players who have been MVP caliber at various points. But, I mean, who knows? Last year after the All-Star break, Russell Westbrook averaged, like, a 30-point triple-double. Oh, that's not happening. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Come on. There's not a chance of that. He's shot. Thing, I think he's yeah. he's he's pretty he's pretty done at this point. Anyway, uh, we don't have to talk about the Lakers for too long because it gets me all riled up. Um, and also, they're just not worth talking about that much. They're a ten seed, so who knows? <laughs> you yeah, know? that's um, fair. All right, should we move on to, to Miski of the week? Yeah. All right, you got you got one for me. <laughs> all right. Well, neither of us have a Miski of the week this week. Which I guess you could argue is the miscue of the week. The fact that neither of us it's could come us. up with anything for this segment. I was banking on uh, some GM like really shitting the bed on <laughs> the trade deadline. And then I mean Dallas. You map. can say Dallas. Dallas like, was Dallas is what I had, but then I was like, oh. But I mean, what do you no, do I, with Porzingis? I, I, <laughs> I think we should get really meta with it this week. So the miscue of the week is the miscue. <laughs> it's on you and me. <laughs> it's on you and me. We 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 came ill prepared. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right, let's wrap it up there. Then um, this is the trade deadline episode of the Miscu NBA podcast. If you're a fan of the pod, leave us a rating, review on Apple Podcast, share it around, etc., etc., etc. And we will see you again next week. Mm-hmm.